Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 12 of What Guy Means Happiness. Thank you for being here and for listening. Um, I hope everyone's having a great holiday week. I just went out for a run, got some sunshine, got some energy. So this is the last episode talking about my postpartum journey. And I was going to name it, I forget, I think I was going to name it Ohio by way of Texas because I traveled to both places in the final parts of my treatment, which I'll talk about. But then I realized that this episode is coming out just around Thanksgiving. And a year ago, I missed Thanksgiving with my family because I was in treatment in Ohio. And so I am so grateful to be here with my family for Thanksgiving. And so I just decided to call this episode Thanksgiving because I'm very thankful. Yeah, with that, I'll just jump in. I think where I left us off last time, I had decided that I was not going to be staying at Clearview in Venice any longer. (laughs) I had put my big girl pants on and some makeup and gone into the office and told them that under no circumstances was I staying. And they said, okay. And they gave me the opportunity to talk to the psychiatrist about the meds because I kept telling them, you know, one of my big problems was that I was completely anxious and I wasn't getting any relief and there weren't any new meds yet. And it was three days in and it was just unacceptable. So I was able to talk to psychiatrists and I was able to get my phone so I could do discharge planning. I called both my parents and William who were shocked, but very supportive. And, um, and we started discharge planning and I remember speaking with the psychiatrist for Clearview and she just said, you know what? I agree. This is not the right place for you because this is not your milieu. And what she meant by that was, for those of you who aren't familiar with the term, like I had to look it up, milieu. It's like, this isn't my cohort. This isn't the right group of people for me. You know, this definitely isn't conducive to healing. And I told her, I was like, you know, since I've been here, I've thought about maybe taking up smoking and vaping because it's, it seems to be what calms everyone down around here. And she goes, oh no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Um, no, we have to get you to the right facility. And she asked me, will you take the Ativan to calm down, um, for the anxiety? And I said, well, I can take the Ativan that was, you know, that they came from the detox center to Clearview, but I never took it. I said, I could take it, but it's the same thing as the Clonopin. It's a benzodiazepine and you guys made me detox and now I'm detoxed. And so I would rather not take it if I don't have to. And I just said, you know, I, I'm not addicted to benzodiazepines. I probably didn't need to detox. And the funny thing was she agreed with that too. She said, you know, I don't think that you are meant for a dual diagnosis facility. I don't think you're addicted to the medication. Otherwise, obviously I wouldn't be telling you to take it right now. And I don't think that you were addicted to alcohol. I think you were using it as a coping mechanism. And that's different from being addicted. And I said, yeah, it is different. Thank you for coming to the party. So she kept asking me, will you take that event? And I just said, no, I'm not going to do it. I just went through detox. I got it out of my system. Wherever I'm going next, they probably won't want me taking it. So I don't want to get on that train again. And so I spent 
the better part of a day calling different places. And the psychiatrist had recommended one called Driftwood in Texas. And I think one of the main reasons she recommended it for me was because it's so pretty. <laughs> and um, the, the, not only is the facility pretty, but so is the milieu, I guess you could say. It's a lot of, you know, um, business leaders and people from wealthy families and just, you know, I think she, she thought that was what I was after in a facility, which is not true at all. I was just saying that me being there with 18 to 25 year olds with borderline personality disorder and, you know, um, also addicted to drugs and alcohol wasn't the right place for me. But that doesn't mean that I need to go to, you know, a ritzy place with older people, (laughs) but, um, older people and, and just people more like me, I guess, you know, my milieu. So she suggested one place in Beverly Hills that I just, I had actually visited a friend who had been at, um, La Ventana with me and I'd visited her there and I knew that that was not going to be the right place for me. So she said, well, call, just call Driftwood. So I called Driftwood and I reached somebody right away. You know, they were very enthusiastic. Um, I'm just going to call him Dave. And Dave was like an angel for me. He understood what I was looking for and told me that Driftwood is also a dual diagnosis facility, but they do this seven to 10 day diagnostics to come up with a diagnosis for you. So you really know what you're dealing with. And they have doctors from this very well-known hospital called the Menninger Clinic in, uh, I think it's in Houston, but it's somewhere else in Texas. And the the two people, the couple that they're actually married that um, run, like they're, they're like the clinical directors at Driftwood came from Menninger. So it's a very reputable place because of the people who are, you know, doing the treatment. And everybody there is an RN or above, and everybody there is, you know, really, really qualified to do what they're doing. And I told him, like, I don't want to be around a bunch of kids at night who do not know how to help someone when they're having a panic attack or when they're, say, put on a bad medication and they've got akathisia and they don't know what to do other than call the clinical director in the middle of the night and have me pace back and forth. And I told him that whole story and he couldn't believe that I went through that. And I was so nervous at this point. I just needed to be somewhere where I felt contained. And I felt like there were people there that could really help me. I mean, I, I had felt so bad for so long that I was afraid of myself. And that's something that is hard to explain. Like I have these intrusive thoughts or I had these intrusive thoughts. I had harm OCD afraid, you know, these obsessive thoughts about what if I hurt myself or what if I hurt someone else and they were completely fabricated in my mind. They weren't like, I was never going to act on them. But by this point I had been so anxious for so long without relief that I didn't trust myself anymore. And I decided to go to Driftwood and do the diagnostics. I spoke to my, to my husband about it, to William. And I spoke to, I was able to call my therapist at home 
and I was able to speak to her about it. And she actually said, I don't know how much it's going to help you to get another diagnosis because we already know what you have. But at this point, all I knew is that I didn't feel ready to go home yet. I felt like I needed to go somewhere before I went home. I wanted to come home and be well. So long story short, I pack up my bags and get ready to go to Driftwood, Texas, where they're going to do a seven to 10 day diagnostics test on me. And I had never heard of these tests. I mean, I've seen them on TV. You know, they hold up the the cards and you look at them and you tell the doctor what you see. That's actually part of this test. It's something that I did while I was at Driftwood, but I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I, I had no idea what to expect, but I knew that I trusted this facility more than the one that I was at more than Clearview. So after being at Clearview for about three or four days, I, um, after I also argued with them and told them that I want all my money back, except for those three or four days that I stayed there. And other than that, I wanted all my money back and they said they would give it back to me. So I was like, thank God. (laughs) And so I packed up my bags and I said my goodbyes. And by that point, once I had calmed down and I knew that I was going somewhere else, I actually was able to kind of, you know, appreciate some of their program bond with some of the people that were there. You know, it was never the right place for me. But I don't blame them for taking me on because I feel like, and this is something that, you know, is a little controversial to say, but I feel like the first thing residentials want to do is make money. And if they think that you're a good fit for them to treat you, they're going to try because they want your money. And one of the clinical directors at Clearview, she seemed to be very, you know, honest. And she said, if this isn't the right place for you, I don't want to keep you here. But if you want to stay here and you feel like we could treat you, I do believe we can treat you. And I was like, are you kidding? Like, look, (laughs) look at what's going on. You know, I went from a detox to here and now I'm told to take the benzodiazepine. There's somebody exercising outside my bedroom at night because she's off her meds and the people here can't control her. And I'm basically the oldest one here by 10 to 15 years. I don't have an addiction to drugs or alcohol. I just don't fit in here at all. And I think she really thought that maybe they could help me if they could have calmed me down and like got me to take the Ativan and then seen in a few days, like how I was doing, but I just didn't want to stay there. I, the police, honestly, guys, it made me sad. Like it just was so three different houses, three completely different designs, three different cohorts. It seemed like older, more mature people in one place, the kids that are like banging their fists into walls in the other place and like, you know, walking around the middle of the night there in one. And that's actually where they had me originally. And that's why they moved me into a bungalow with two other girls that were calm and nice. And I don't know, I could go on forever and ever talking about my Clearview experience because it was really something. And the cook there, who's actually amazing, she knew that she's Filipino and she knew that I'm half Filipino and she knew that I wasn't eating. And on like the third day she came and she brought Filipino mangoes and brought them just for me to see if that would help me. And I was so grateful and I wish that I could have had an appetite to eat them 
And so the next day when I went to, I was flying, you know, getting on my, um, getting ready to fly to Texas, I took the mangoes with me. So anyway, I was just really excited to get out of Clearview and go to Driftwood where I felt like I could get an actual diagnosis because even though I was told and I was pretty clear that I had anxiety and OCD, when you're left alone with your thoughts for so long, you begin to wonder if that's all you have and maybe you have something worse going on. So if anything, I just wanted to get reassurance and clarity that we're treating the right thing, you know, that I'm trying to get treatment for the right diagnosis. So at like five in the morning, I get up and I get on a flight to Texas and I've got this guy, Dave, like who's been on the phone with me for like every step of the way, you know, that's his job. And I, I know that that's probably how he is with every single person, but it really helped. And it's what I needed at that time. I really needed somebody to hold my hand through everything And so he helped me, you know, kind of, you know, get the confidence to pack my stuff up and go to the airport and get on the airplane, get to Texas. And I got to Texas, I got to to Driftwood on a weekend. And it was, I think the weekend of Halloween or maybe before, but I was blown away with you know, how pretty this place was. I mean, it was, I think before it was a retreat center and then someone bought it and made it into a treatment facility. And so for about two days, there was nothing really going on because over the weekend, the clinical team is not there and they have like support staff for you, but the support staff was good. I mean, they were, They were, you know, very mature and they handled everything well. And just the facility is just beautiful. I mean, it's very like Western. I don't know how to describe it. It has like an outdoor facility with um, a fireplace roaring all the time with like chairs and blankets to be comfortable. Then it has the indoor place where there's couches and a TV and blankets to be comfortable. And there's also a TV out in the other place where there's there's the fireplace as well. And then there's this, this dining hall that's like very nice. And there's always food available anytime you want. And all of the rooms have like two people at least, but up to like four or six people, I think, depending on how many beds, um, we, I was in one with four, four beds and I had a roommate who is interesting. She, (laughs) she just kept changing her clothes. I don't know. She kept changing her clothes. And I think she obviously had body image issues and she kept getting deliveries of clothes like to her, you know, to her name. And they would be like in the area where you pick up your mail and she'd get bags and bags and bags and bags of clothes. And I would be like, how are you um, supporting yourself? How is this happening? And she tells me finally that she has an OnlyFans account. And this is the first time I'd ever heard of an OnlyFans account. So she has an OnlyFans account that she shares with her boyfriend and that's how she makes all this money while she's in treatment. So anyway, interesting people all around, but most of the people at Driftwood are, you know, I had like a few CEOs there, um, head of marketing for a company, um, kids that whose parents are, you know, involved in looking after them and helping them financially. 
Um, everybody there has to be able to afford driftwood. So driftwood is not covered by insurance, but it has somebody, it has a company that lobbies on your behalf to try to get the money back. So if it's not, if this treatment facility is not covered by your insurance, you want to make sure that there is a company linked to them that will lobby to try to get your money back because driftwood is expensive for sure. And I was there for the seven to 10 day diagnostics. So by Monday, they started putting me in these different tests. You know, some of them were done on the computer and some of them were done in person. And I remember the first time I met the female doctor that runs the place because she's married to her husband who also runs the place with her. But I just cried. I was just so, I don't know, desperate. I know I've used that word so many times, but I was so desperate and I was crying and crying and crying and telling her that I, you know, I really just needed to know what was wrong with me and I needed to go to the right place to get help and I needed to go home to my family. And she like understood me and she was trying to help me. I really believe that. And she did a number of the diagnostics tests. And when I wasn't in tests, I could go and be part of the group, part of the community, they call it. So I could go to their classes if I wanted to. I could go on the outings with them. I could, you know, obviously I ate all my meals with them. And I made like a few, you know, acquaintances, friends that I was like, you know, that I got used to talking to. And, you know, I just, everybody's journey is so different. And I remember I was talking to one dad who was, this was like maybe his third or fourth stint in rehab. And he had, you know, he was an alcoholic and he was just terrified that this wasn't going to work for him. He was just terrified. He just told me this has to work. This is my last chance. My kids are, they've had it. You know, I've had like two marriages now that haven't worked out and I just need this to work. I'm terrified. And he was almost dependent on me on certain times during the day, during certain times of the day to just talk to and have somebody to socialize with who understood him. And I was just really caring and understanding. And I told him that, you know, he will make it through, but he does, he probably needs to stay in a community after the treatment center where people are sober. And he kept telling me, I don't want to do that. You know, I want to go back to my house and my nice car and my nice, you know, everything that he's used to at home. And I said, well, if you do that, good luck. I don't know how, how long you're going to last. And, you know, I just had different, I had just met so many different people while I was there and all of them had the money for driftwood. So this was a different milieu for sure. And, um, I felt lucky to be there, honestly, because they're also linked to a very well-known hospital. They had a great staff that was totally accredited to do what they did to take care of everybody. And I felt safe there. The only problem was I wasn't taking any medicine again. (laughs) I wasn't taking any, Um, they were taking me down off of the SSRI I was on and I wasn't taking any benzodiazepines. So I was still feeling extremely anxious while I was there doing the tests. And at the end, you know, and while I was there, I missed Halloween. So that was really hard for me. I knew that, you know, Maddie was at home dressed as 
a um, ladybug and I missed Halloween and couldn't be there. And But I was like, this is what I need to do. I need to get better so that I can go home to her. So I did a bunch of diagnostic tests and at the very end, there's a two to three hour conference with your family and your therapist from home if you want. And I had her on the phone as well um, so that she could, it was a Zoom call actually, so that she could hear what the results of the diagnostics were. And <laughs> sure enough, it was very bad, you know, anxiety and some mild depression and mostly they said mostly they diagnosed me primarily with postpartum OCD because of the thoughts I was having. And to this day, I still don't know if I agree with that. Like I still think that the anxiety is the number one thing. The OCD is the second thing. And then they said the depression is so mild that, you know, you answered a few questions that, that said that you might be a little depressed, but who wouldn't be a little depressed in this situation. So don't worry too much about that diagnosis. But what we really believe the main problem is, is the postpartum OCD. So with that information, they started looking for places and, and, you know, they did a long call with my parents and William and, and my, um, psychiatrist therapist from home. And they really were convinced that I had postpartum OCD primarily. So, we didn't know what to do at that point because there was a place that they recommended, which is called the Lindner Institute in Ohio. And they had a OCD program because not, you know, not very many residential treatment facilities deal primarily with OCD. It's very, very rare. And there are a couple in the country that, that do it, but they're, their stays are very long. They're like three to six months, some of them. And they're for people who, you know, are afraid of germs or, you know, are afraid of, you know, going outside or can't, you know, it's a little bit different than mine. And I kept telling them like, I need to get home to my family. I do want to go to treatment. I do want to do the right thing, but I can't be gone for three to six more months of my daughter's life. I'm sorry. I'm just not going to do it. So... We called the Lindner Institute and they basically said, you know, we don't have space for her yet. You know, we might have space for her in two or three weeks, which was actually great news because the other places we had called had long waiting lists on top of being there for a long time. With Lindner, the stay was usually about 30 days, which is the normal residential stay. And they could take me in two or three weeks. So at this point, the only thing I needed to do was, which I was very happy about actually, was go home, but have some kind of regimen that would keep me calm and keep my anxiety down so that I could then go to Lindner. And so <laughs> I didn't know what to do again, because I didn't know if I could take my medication and they brought the psychiatrist in who I had seen. And the psychiatrist said she needs to be on an SSRI that treats OCD primarily, that is really treating OCD and not just anxiety. So they recommended an SNRI, which has, I think it's serotonin, norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. <laughs> That's what I think it is. So it's an SNRI. It's slightly different from an SSRI, 
but it was called anaphronil. And it treated, um, it was known to treat OCD. And then the nurse, for some reason, said, you know what, I think you should take your Ativan. I don't think you should be this miserable. You know, if you are going to go to Lindner and you need to be okay for a few days until you get there, then take your Ativan. And at this point, guys, I was so sick of being anxious. I was like, fine, let me take it. So I took like 0.5 of Ativan. Within 15 minutes, I was feeling so much better. I was feeling hungry. I went to lunch, got some food that I actually wanted to eat. And... And, you know, I don't know, that's why benzodiazepines are widely used, are so widely used because they can be so potent and they can be so effective, I mean. And so, you know, I was feeling so much better at that point. And the other good news was that I was going to get to fly home for a couple days and now it was the beginning of November and I was going to actually get to be home for my dad's birthday, which was very special to me. And I was going to get to be with my family, be with Maddie. I mean, I just felt so different around her this time. And I was so grateful to be able to be there with her and hold her and kiss her and love her. And the time had passed. And I, you know, when I had come home from La Ventana, I had felt well for a little bit. So I had been able to bond with her. And so this whole time that I was gone while I was at... Clearview and then Driftwood, I missed her terribly. And when I got to see her again, I was so relieved that I could have normal feelings with her without anxiety. So the time at home, the two or three days that I spent home before I went to Ohio were great days. And the thing that was going to suck about going to Lindner was that I was going to miss Thanksgiving with my family, which was going to be awful, but I wasn't going to miss Christmas. I could stay. It was only 30 days. So I was going in on November 10th. So I was going to be home December 10th. And I was going to be home in good, in lots of time for Christmas. And that meant a lot to me. So off I went again. Um, William dropped me off at the airport and I left my family again. But I was like, at this point, guys, I was on a mission. I was like, okay, I have OCD. I have anxiety. I don't really agree that the OCD is the number one thing, but it's like what came first, the chicken or the egg? Who cares? I have OCD. I'm going to treat the OCD and they're going to treat my anxiety too. They're going to fix my medication. I'm going to come home and I'm going to be better and I'm going to be healthy and I'm never going to have to leave again. And I was just on a mission. So I flew to Ohio and it was a full day of travel And I get there and everything there is extremely professional and very sterile because it's actually a hospital and they have three different places. They have the hospital, which is like the ER psych ward where I had gone and been been told I should not go, but I went anyway. And then they have one residential for, I believe it's for people that just, they just need another level of care. They, it's like not the residential that I was going to, but the next level of care up. And then they have um, the Sibsi house, which is the residential for people who voluntarily were coming to get help with different issues. And this was a mental health only facility. So there was no dual diagnosis. And they had, they were treating people with, you know, bipolar and um, depression and anxiety, very much anxiety and pain, chronic pain, and a lot of OCD, 
a lot of OCD treatment was going on. And so I get there and it was, um, you know, still COVID. So I had to wait 24 hours in my room and just kind of entertain myself. And luckily I had, you know, I, I was able to have full use of my phone during that time, full use of my computer and my iPad. So I could like watch TV and I was so calm because I was taking the Ativan that I actually like, they had an art teacher there. And so she gave me like coloring books and crayons and I was like actually coloring and actually reading a book and actually, you know, enjoying what I was doing. And, you know, it was like, I was finally just feeling better. And, you know, it was the Ativan. I have to say that it was the Ativan, but it was really helping me and I was doing better. And that's why I always say, and Kat said when she was a guest on here, it's, I don't think it's the right thing to do to keep patients from taking their benzodiazepines when they have severe anxiety because they can't take in any treatment. If nothing else works except for the benzo, let them take the benzo because there's other work that needs to be done in terms of psychodynamic therapy, which is talk therapy and just different things and that they need to be present for. And they're not going to be present if they're very, very anxious. So needless to say, I mean, this was just a completely different experience for me because I was feeling better. And it wasn't like I was completely re um, reliant on the uh, benzodiazepine because they also started me on a different drug that I mentioned before, anaphronil, which is an SNRI. And that was also making its way into my system. So the hope is to as I've said several times on the podcast, get the person off the benzodiazepine eventually and have them just be on the SSRI or SNRI and use the benzo as like an as needed, you know, for a panic attack or if something comes up where they're extremely anxious. So this whole experience was just so different for me. And, you know, I had my own room and it was sort of like, you know, we were in Ohio in November and it snowed and I had like my first and only snow of last year. And I put my coat on that I had brought cause I knew I was going to Ohio and I never had a chance to wear it cause I didn't need to. And I put it on and I ran outside into the snow and I made them take a picture of me. And I just remember in that moment, feeling so grateful and so thankful for the experience and for having been led to this place. And, you know, one of the things that was also very different from any other treatment experience before was that the psychiatrist was checking on me like every day in the beginning and then every two to three days um, for the rest of my stay. So he really stayed on top of my medication, how I was feeling. Like there was one point where I was getting, um, some insomnia and some night sweats and, you know, stuff like that. And he uh, adjusted the medication so that I could sleep through the night and not have night sweats. And he just made sure I was comfortable. And I felt like a com just a completely different person in this treatment program. And so, you know, we did CBT, we did DBT, we did, you know, talk therapy and I had exposure therapy for my OCD because the primary reason I was supposedly there was for my OCD. And the reason I say supposedly is because I'm still skeptical that that is the primary issue. And then I was even more skeptical of the treatment because what it was, was, you know, if I was afraid of jumping off of, you know, a tall building or something, or if I had like an intrusive thought like that, 
then they would find a video of someone skydiving or jumping off of a building and I would have to watch it over and over and over again. And I would have to write scripts about the things I was scared of and I would have to write out exactly what would happen and the whole entire story. And, you know, it was very... It was supposed to be therapeutic, but I was like, I feel like this isn't really getting to the problem. Like what, whatever the problem was, I didn't feel like the exposure therapy was really helping me that much, but the treatment there was helping me because I was actually able to take part in the rest of the treatment. So, I mean, at some points I was even laughing because they had, you know, um, I was telling them that I was afraid to be alone with my baby. And so they had me and I was afraid to, you know, carry her up and down the stairs at one point. I was afraid I was going to drop her. And so they had me with this pillow and that was supposed to be Maddie. And I had to walk up and down the stairs at another part of the facility, like in public, in the waiting area, in the, in like the lobby, I'm walking up and down the stairs over and over and over again with this oversized pillow. That's supposed to be my child. And I just don't know if that really helped me or not. I think what, you know, helped me was time passing. And one thing that did happen here was I realized how ridiculous my thoughts were and that I'm not somebody that's going to act on these thoughts. And I was able to like sit back and reflect and journal and actually think about, you know, what was causing all of this. And I would say, looking back now, after everything that I went through, it was a huge adjustment disorder that happened. And I think that's a, that's an actual thing, adjustment disorder. And I definitely have it because a lot of my anxiety in the past would come when there would be new life events or a breakup or, you know, something new in my life that was happening and it would be an adjustment disorder. And so I definitely had that when I had my baby, which isn't that far fetched to have an adjustment you know, problem when you're going from being a 37 year old free woman to being a new mom suddenly, you know, it's not that far fetched. I definitely do think I have some OCD and I'm glad for the treatment that I received for that. Um, even though, you know, I thought some of it was a little bit silly and I'm not sure how big of the problem that part of it really was. Um, every single place I went said I had OCD, so I can't say I didn't, I didn't, or I don't. And, you know, to this day, I still have some intrusive thoughts and I have to like, I have to step back and think, okay, that makes no sense. This is not something that you're going to do. It's just an intrusive thought. And to this day, it's still hard to fight some of those thoughts and some of the anxiety that I have. But while I was in this treatment center, at least I was calm enough and I was hopeful about the new medication. So I was optimistic and calm. I was in the best state I could possibly be in at that point to receive treatment. And I think that's why they were able to stabilize me. And I was able to eventually go home and be stable. And I remember on Thanksgiving, one of the aides made sure that we had actual Thanksgiving food because we were away from our families. And these people, a lot of them were people you would never look, look at them and know what's wrong. You know, um, there was one extremely intelligent gent gentleman who was there and who had just been going, well, I wouldn't say gentleman, actually. He was really young, so he was a guy. 
And he had gone from treatment facility to treatment facility to treatment facility. And it was like he only knew how to live in treatment. And obviously came from a lot of money because this is expensive. And to look at him and to talk to him, you wouldn't know that there was a problem. Except for when there there was family counseling times. And then you would hear him yelling and screaming in the, in the counseling room. And you would be like, okay, obviously there's an issue with his family. But talking to him, you would never know there was an issue. There was a woman from the South who, to this day, I don't know what was wrong with her. Because nothing seemed wrong. I just, there was nothing. But she was there. And she'd been there longer than me. Um, there was another woman that came voluntarily because she had chronic pain and you know they've linked chronic pain to mental health issues you know of late you hear a lot about that like people like Lady Gaga who talk about it there's a there's a great inter interview between Lady Gaga and Oprah Winfrey that everybody should watch um it's like on one of Oprah Winfrey's Super Soul Sundays you can find it on YouTube But it's about Lady Gaga's struggle with her mental health and how she had actually gone through a psychotic period at one point and has chronic pain that's linked to her mental health. So anyway, just so many stories, so many different people um, that I encountered on this whole journey. And, you know, while I was at Lindner, all I can say is that it was just a completely different experience from anything I had had before. And... You know, I left Lindner 30 days later, and I came home on December 9th, 2021. My mom and dad picked me up at the airport because William was working. (laughs) And I was able to, well, first we went and ate lunch somewhere, I think, and then we went home. And then I was able to go pick up Maddie with my mom. And there's a video I've shared on my Instagram. There's a real of the first time I see her after 30 days. And it's just a sweet moment. It's such a sweet moment. And it's such an amazing moment to come home to her and to be stable and healthy and able to take care of her and not, you know, looking for another treatment or just like white knuckling it and trying to make it through with like four glasses of Chardonnay at night or something like that. Something ridiculous like that. You know, I was actually stable and happy and hopeful when I came home. And, you know, I've had some people say to me, I had a friend of mine at work say to me in a really honest and concerned way saying, you know, you sound like you have it all together and like now you're totally through it, but there's no way you could be totally over all all of the things that you went through. And there's no way that you could just be fine like that. So I just hope that doing this podcast doesn't force you to feel like you have to be okay all the time. And that was actually a really insightful thing that he said. Because I am sort of coming from a platform of like, this is what I went through and now it's over. And it's not over. It's never over because I have anxiety and I guess I have OCD and It acted up when I had my baby and my medicine stopped working and I had to find my way through a long journey, find my way back to feeling good again. And I do have days and and weeks that I struggle even. I've had a couple weeks in the last year 
that, you know, were very difficult for me where the anxiety would kind of flare up again. And then I would have my doubts about medication and, oh my gosh, it's coming back. And I always have this like it, quote unquote, it on my shoulder, like a monkey on my shoulder. That's the anxiety and it's still there and it can come back and get me at any point. And, but it doesn't, it doesn't. And the reason it doesn't, I think I attribute a lot of the reason that it doesn't come back to get me. I attribute it to, yes, all the treatment and the journey that I went through, but also having a therapist that I trust now that has known me for over a year at this point and has stood by me and filled the void of Saul. And, you know, losing my therapist when I did was traumatic. And I didn't even realize how traumatic it was until lately, just lately. And through having this new therapist that makes it so easy to get in touch with her and makes it, you know, I don't know, always tells me how important I am to her too, that she's looking out for me, that she's thinking about me, that she cares about me. And I never really had that with Saul. Like I kind of felt like when our sessions ended, our sessions ended. So it's kind of cool to have somebody that like really seems that invested and I'm so appreciative. And so I think having that medical team that you really believe in, I have a psychiatrist who's separate from my therapist this time that I think really knows medication. And when I call him, he calls me right back and makes adjustments when they're needed. Um, Like my friend said, I think I'm still going through it, kind of. You know, I'm not all the way better, but I would say I'm probably about 85 to 90% there. And, you know, every day that passes is just another step toward the light, I feel. And I'm the best mom I can be to Maddie and the best wife I can be to my husband. And I don't take any moment for granted. I'm just so grateful. And that's why (laughs) I'm calling this episode Thanksgiving, because not only is it dropping the day before Thanksgiving, but I'm extremely, extremely thankful for the journey. You know, it was awful at times. It was, I was desperate at times for it to be over, but your journey is your journey and it takes as long as it takes. And once you're through it, you're better for it. And so I always say this, but if I had any piece of advice for anyone going through something like this, It would just be to leave no stone unturned. Just be inquisitive. Look for resources. Don't take what people say at face value and say, okay, I guess that's what I have to do. There's so many different ways to treat mental illnesses now. And there's new ways coming up every day. I mean, being educated is another thing that I would advise. I I give to a foundation called the brain and behavioral research foundation. And I read their mail when they send them, when they send things to me and I try to stay on top of, you know, what the latest things are. And I think there's a lot of hope for people with anxiety and a lot of hope for moms with postpartum, but we have to be prepared. And this country is really lacking in its maternal mental health. You know, it needs to be something that's considered before you have your baby, it needs to be part of your pre and postpartum care, especially if you're predisposed to it because of your mental health issues from the past. 
you need to be prepared. You need to assemble a medical team. You need to have a plan, you know, B for if your medication stops working when you have your baby so that you know that you're in good hands, so that you know that you're going to be okay, so that you can focus on what's important, which is your baby and being a mother. So I could go on and on, and this is not the last you're going to hear from me. This is the end of, I, I mean, it's, it, it's not over. It's never over, like I said, but it's kind of the end of my saga of my journey through postpartum and my treatments that I went through to get better and to come home to my family in um, the best way I could. But I want to keep connected with you all, and I have a few guests that are going to be coming on in the next few weeks to talk about the same topics, but, you know, different because different experiences for different people. I think they're going to be very enlightening and good for everybody who listens. And um, then I want to just talk about being a mom and, you know, being a mom who works full time and, you know, is a leader and is somebody that, you know, for 37 years did nothing but exactly what her agenda was and then had a baby and it all blew up. (laughs) So, um, and I want to talk about being a wife and I don't know how I'm going to structure things going forward, to be honest, but I'm going to take the holiday weekend to think about it. And then I'm going to be back to you again next week. I'm pretty sure. So with that, I just want to say thank you for listening and Thank you for sharing this podcast with others. Those of you who have, I appreciate the private DMs and messages that I've gotten from people about how this podcast has affected them and how it's helped them. That means so much to me and that's why I'm doing it. You know, it's healing for me. Yes, but I, if I can help someone not feel alone, it's worth it. And please, you know, I have to say the cheesy stuff. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Write a review if you have a moment. I love reading those. Share the podcast with others. And just keep tuning in because I'm going to be here. I am not done. (laughs) So anyway, um, I wish everybody a beautiful, peaceful, and blessed Thanksgiving. And a wonderful weekend with your families and people that you care about. And we will talk soon. Thank you.